Isn't that awesome? <laughs> that's cool. That's, that's not my kid. That's some random internet kid. Uh, but I, I found that, and I just, don't, I just didn't want Christmas to be over quite yet. So I thought we would play it. That was, it was adorable. Um, well, good morning. Good morning. Um, the, the transition from worship to me getting up here went so much smoother, this service. Uh, last service, I was just sitting in the chair with you, and they cleared the stage, and I was just sitting there like, I wonder what's next. <laughs> Alex Gilbert was next to me. He's like, dude, I think you're supposed to go up there now. I was like, oh, right. And then... Because of when I had walked in the room, I said, well, hey, let's all just stand up and greet one another. And no one got up. And I was like, well, come on, let's stand up and greet one another. And then someone was like, we already did that. <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you all of this. Anyway, <laughs> good morning. This went better. Okay. Oh, well, um, it's, uh, it's an honor to be up here. And uh, yes, uh, I can still say Merry Christmas, right? Happy New Year. All of those things were still in the season. All your decorations are still up and will probably be until like mid-January. The tree is just begging you as it's slowly dying in your living room, um, becoming more of a fire hazard. Um, yes. No, it was, uh, it was awesome. I have, uh, my wife and I uh, and, our, and our kids, we call Grace Fellowship our home, and, uh, and we um, uh, just loved Christmas. Uh, I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a and a not one-year-old, I think he's ah, 10 months, 11 months old. I should know that. Um, but it was, just, it was just so much fun. And we, and we did really try hard to uh, explain, um, you know, the, wh why we really celebrate Christmas and what it's an opportunity for us to really recognize. And I think we did a pretty decent job with our kids. But, you know, like in the eyes of your five-year-old, you know, he's eyes wide. And he sees all the gifts right behind you while you're trying to tell him, like, now, listen, before we open these gifts, he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. These gifts point to, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, point to something bigger. Now, what do we celebrate? Okay, Jesus, we, it's, it's Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus, Dad. It's Jesus. We, we're celebrating Jesus. Right, and why do we, I, all the things, Dad. Jesus, God, Jesus, manger, baby Jesus. Gifts, I want the gifts. <laughs> and then uh, jokes on him. We were on a budget this year, so we wrapped up half the stuff we already owned. So, <laughs> ha! Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that kid got a banana. All right? So, that's all right. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you on uh, this birthday. I mean, on this, sorry, on this Sunday. I don't know why I said birthday. That was, wait, what? Oh, oh, my gosh. Guys, I wasn't fishing or anything. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Whose birthday? Oh, it's your birthday, too. Happy birthday. Yes, that's great. Hey, yeah, it really stinks to have a December birthday, right? Because everyone's like, here, here's a thing. It's a, it's, it's a Christmas and a birthday gift. No, it's not. You separate those things. Anyway, today's message is on humility. It is. It is, it is, it is on humility. <sighs> All right. Um, the, the new series... Uh, <laughs> Here we go. The new series that we're in uh, is called All Things New, right? And as we uh, approach uh, January, we think about uh, resolutions, right? Fun. Uh, new commitments, new goals, uh, things that we're going to do for the entire month of January. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's great. But of course, um, 
you know, as believers, I think about um, uh, new beginnings. I think about 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, right? We don't really need January 1st to start new things, right? For if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Uh, anytime you want to access that, you don't have to wait till January 1st, right? Um, and so as we talk about new things, I, I want to share with you uh, actually something that uh, I, I've gleaned from some of uh, something that we've done recently with our, some of our Young Life students. So um, this is kind of cool. Every, for about the past four or five years, uh, we began to hear from students that, excuse me, uh, that they, they wanted to be challenged uh, even more. They wanted to take their discipleship uh, uh, e even deeper, to be challenged, to be uh, just to take things seriously, not just to be fans of Jesus, but to be real followers of, of him. That's a book, be a fan, not a follower. Um, and, and so uh, we found a time, which would be Friday mornings at 6 a.m. before school. They, they were thrilled. Um, and for the past four or five years, we've had a number of students um, consistently get up uh, at, you know, for the guys, they, they wake up at 5.45 for the girls, 4 a.m. And, and they, uh, they show up to a leader's house or a committee member's house and we have what we call iron men and iron women. It's actually really neat. And we tell them that when you go, we, we do it in about eight week or 10 week chunks. And we say, if you come to the first one, that's a freebie. Uh, but if you come to the second one, you're coming to all of them. Uh, and because uh, we, we literally, we are challenging them uh, during this time. And the last time that we were together, uh, the students and I went through, we just finished this up, First uh, Corinthians. And we were supposed to kind of go through the, the whole thing, but we really uh, kind of hovered around the first few chapters of First Corinthians, Paul's note to the church in Corinth. And we um, borrowed some wisdom, not only from Paul, uh, but also from Tim Keller, who wrote a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Um, it's a really small book, booklet, I guess. Uh, it's 30 pages long, so you could read it over your lunch hour, or if you read like me in a month. So... Um, yeah, so uh, it, it's awesome. So some of what you're hearing this morning is certainly borrowing from his wisdom as well as he's unpacked this because it, it just left, it left an impact on uh, me. It left an impact on leaders. And of course, I hope it left an impact on kids. So may I share with you some of those things? Um, we're going to read uh, from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 uh, and chapter 4, uh, the end of chapter 3, starting at verse 21 and uh, into verse 7 in chapter 4. Uh, before I do that, um, I, I want to almost start with the end in mind. Uh, as we think about the new year, as we think about who we want to be, right, that's uh, whether or not we hate this idea of resolutions or not, uh, it often uh, just reminds us, reminds us of things that we want to be, things we want to stop doing, things we want to start doing, on and on. And what I want to ask this morning, uh, and it's, I think we'll get there through the message, I hope, uh, so hear me, is what would it look like, really? I mean, like, as normal human beings here, uh, what would it look like if we not only understood and not, really, uh, not just grasped the message of the gospel, but we really, really believed that our identity in Christ can make a practical change on our lives today, tomorrow? Our eternities? Absolutely. But if we were to really believe in who Jesus says we are and not in who, who I say you are or uh, in, in what others say or culture says, uh, if, if we're not dependent upon those things, um, 
but dependent first and foremost, and only our identity uh, comes from, our value comes from, um, from Christ. And as a body, of course, we encourage one another towards that. We encourage one another. The Lord uses uh, us as, as a body to encourage each other. This is who you really are, right? So this is not so much about, you know, isolating ourselves from everybody's opinions, but saying, man, what if I really, really believed in what Jesus said about me? Can that change the way we go about our lives? So let's read together uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 21. So then, no more human boasting, no more boasting, any kind of boasting, human boasting, animal boasting, uh, no more boasting about human leaders. Uh, I had a typo on my paper. I said boating. I was like, no more boating. Paul was very, okay. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. This, then, is how you ought to regard us. As servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not, listen, you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different, what ma for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? This is God's word. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your word. God, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that your presence is always with us. God, we don't have to ask for your presence to be here. It's here. God, I thank you that your word uh, is meant for us. God, we thank you for its authority and its necessity and sufficiency in our lives. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would remind us and encourage us towards who you are and who we are in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He planted this church, uh, and uh, many uh, others have come after him uh, to continue to mentor and grow the church, and, and he is dealing with something. He was an incredible leader, and despite Paul's incredible leadership, he's dealing with something uh, that even he can't escape from those who follow him and ultimately follow Christ, is division. Uh, division uh, in the body. And, and what's happening is the people in Corinth, the believers in Corinth, are, are fighting and boasting over who's in their camp, okay? So they're saying, hey, you know who mentored me? I was here when Paul started this thing, okay? Uh, Paul's my guy. Uh, who, yeah, mm, yeah, okay, like that. Making, like making noises and stuff. And then, and then the other camp goes, oh, really, Paul? Oh, that's cool. As far as I remember, Paul murdered Christians. So cool. Enjoy him. I've got Apollos. Okay, he's cooler. All right. 
And then other, other guys are going, whoa, 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 hey, Paul, Apollos, okay, yeah. How about Cephas, Peter? Yeah, I knew, bless you, I knew, I knew Peter, okay? He, he walked with Jesus, so there's that. Now, it's, it's juvenile when I do it that way, right, of course, but like it, it was creating serious division. They're, they're pitting their leaders and their mentors against one another and, and, and saying, oh, that leader's nothing compared to this guy. Or that, you know, he said this or he, or he does, you know. And, and Paul, in the beginning uh, of the verses that we've read, uh, oh, okay, here we go, right there. Oh, I never flipped it for you. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, so Paul, it says to them uh, in, the, in, in the beginning, he just says, stop, Right? He says, stop doing this. What are you doing? You're acting, he's like, you're acting like the culture of Corinth, not the culture of Christ. What are you doing? You, the, the message of the gospel is that you don't have to do this anymore. Like you've been freed from this. God has justified you, so you don't have to justify yourself anymore. What you wear, what you do, who mentors you, what church you're a part of, what church you're not, he's saying, stop. What are you doing? And uh, I hope that sometimes Scripture really, like, amazes you. And I, when I was reading this, I was really struck by Paul's advice here, okay? Because he goes, stop doing that now. And then he goes, why? Because everything is yours. Everything. Paul is yours. Apollos is yours. Cephas serves you. You've got life is yours. Death is yours. You hear that? Life is yours. Everything in it is yours. God wants you to have a life and life to the full, abundant life, adventure. This is, this is for you. Even death is yours. It serves you. The one thing that could take you out, death, right? Now, now it serves you now because now when you die, you, it's just a dark hallway into the corridor of his presence. Guys, it's all yours. Stop. Stop doing this. No more boasting. What are you doing? Everything is yours. Uh, church, today, I, I wrote this question. It says, do we today, as a church, as individuals, as a body of believers, do we still have issues of boasting, pride, <laughs> ego? Or was, just, was division in those things just an ancient problem? No. In this letter... In these verses that we've read, Paul, uh, I'd like to do three things, and, 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 and it's this, is point out to some of what Paul was doing here. He describes this boasting as we translate that word from pride into, into our understanding of our egos. He's saying that the issue here, the reason for this division, the reason for a lot of what you're doing, if not all of what you're doing, is your pride, your egos, the way you see yourselves and the way you see everyone around you. And it's not working. It's broken. Secondly, he offers himself, he says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm using myself as an example here of a radical solution, a radical solution to our broken egos. And third, he talks about how to get it, and we'll talk about that this morning. But before I do, I would like to read to you um, a book intended for small children. Okay, so, yeah, great. Uh, so uh, this book is called uh, You Are Special by Max Licato. And, uh, and uh, it says, presented to, um, and I never filled it out, but it was for my kids. Um, so I, I, liked, I discovered this last year, and I've been reading it to my boys. 
Um, and uh, it's, I hope that they'll continue to kind of hear what's beneath the surface. So let me read to you. The Wemmicks were a small wooden people. The Wemmicks, okay? The Wemmicks were a small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But they were all made by the same carver and they all lived in the village. And all day and every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave out each other's, I'm sorry, they gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the street, all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with the smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still, others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else and get another star. Others, though, could do little. And they got dots. Punchinello, that's a cool name, Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people would give him more dots. Then when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid that he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water. And then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would come up and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a very good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. The few times that he went outside, he hung around other Wemmicks who had lots of dots, and he felt better around them. Do we live in a culture of stars and dots? Yeah, I think we do. I, I would probably say that by human nature, we've, al we've always lived in cultures of stars and dots. We give accolades and praise to those who accomplish and achieve and have the things that our culture says are good things worth of having, achieving, and, and accomplishing. And we give out dots to those who make mistakes. We give out dots to those who have stumbled. And we say, this is a part of who you are now. All right? When you look at this dot, I want you to remember when you stumbled. I want you to remember when you fell. This is a part of who you are now. So when we see you, I see your failures. If I see your stars, I see the things that you've accomplished. Look, um, maybe some of you got new social media scrollers for Christmas or s new cell phones, whatever you call them, okay? And uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to spend a lot of time on here um, to discover that this is absolutely how we live, right? Recommending one another and, and, and giving each other stars and avoiding dots and giving out dots and all of that. Like that's just, it's a, it's a part of our culture. 
Uh, and, and, and look, it, it's, um, it, it's for us individually. Now, maybe some of us don't uh, spend a lot of time on there, but probably most of us do. Um, if you don't, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Um, but now there's this whole part now uh, uh, where we already had enough reason uh, to recommend ourselves and to give out stars and dots without them, uh, but now I have an entire sort of online brand to manage, my own brand, right? To get stars, to give them out in hopes of getting them back. And that looks like a million different things. But we do this, don't we? On our phones or otherwise. You know, in, in traditional cultures, um, when we think about pride and we think about ego, uh, uh, and, and, and how we kind of interact with that. Look, if, if someone did something really, really bad, like if, if someone uh, cheated or stole or murdered uh, or whatever it is, uh, traditional culture said, well, the reason that you did that uh, is because you think too much of yourself. You have a pride issue, right? You're, you're, you're puffed up. You're, uh, and so you need, to kind of, you need to be brought down a few pegs. Now, that might kind of sound foreign to you, uh, and the reason is because in our sort of modern and postmodern culture, we say that if someone does something wrong or they have destructive behavior, right, they, they steal, they abuse someone, whatever it is, it's not that they think too much of themselves, it's that they what? You're right, they think too little of themselves. Johnny, how did you feel when you set the cat on fire and let it run through the house? <laughs> did, did someone say something mean to you today? Right? I mean, it's, I'm being facetious, but you, you know, you get it, right? Our, our culture says it, in the 90s and all that, we kind of call it like the self-esteem movement. You need to think better of yourself. We live in, a, in an individualistic society, so we're saying, come, come on, don't, you know, don't do all those destructive things. You, you don't care about yourself enough. And what Paul is saying here in these few verses, I believe, to uh, this church in Corinth is saying it's not about self-love. It's not about self-hate. It's that, you're, that the natural condition of your egos are just broken. And that's what's causing this, this division and this destructive behavior that you guys are getting yourself into. The words that Paul used uh, in, in the next slide, he, he says uh, that then you will not, in the middle there, then you will not be puffed up, right? So when, when, when Paul is talking, he uses this language that we would think of Right, uh, and and it's and it's only Paul who talks about pride th in this particular way. He does this in his in his letters when he uses these specific uh, words for pride and ego as we think about it. But then here he talks about them being puffed up, and he uses language that we would think of um, medically when we're talking about like a like a filled up or a or a distended organ. It's kind of nasty, right? But that's that's the language that he's using, and uh, he's pointing. I believe, and then we can discover four things about sort of the natural condition of the human ego. One is that it's empty. Two is that it's painful. It's in pain. Three, that it's busy. And four, that it's fragile. So, so first, that our, our egos are empty. That's the easiest one, right? Puffed up, filled up. And, and if you're familiar with any sort of like Christian messaging, or if you've heard a message before, you listen to a sermon, you read a Christian book, we often talk about this idea that our, our human nature is, is that we are constantly looking for our purpose, our identity. We're filling up that empty space of our egos. No matter how big our ego is or how small it is, we are, we, we are trying to fill it up 
with something so that we can feel valued, so that we can feel on purpose. We have identity, so I can feel comfortable, right? You've heard a million different analogies to explain this, right? I have a God-sized hole in my heart, and if I try to fill it with anything else, it won't work. Listen to this quote. It's natural for us to try to build up our lives without God. Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. Not without religion, right? Without God, without Him. Because we can even use religion to do this. Amen? Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the man who, who we give so much credit to, the beginning of the Reformation, right? He would say all the time that, man, I, I, was, I was surrounded with, with, with godly experience, religious experience, but I never knew him until he, he saw the message of grace by faith and not by works until it became real to him. And so you know, we, we use anything, religion, family, vocation, um, relationship, the, the, uh, the stuff that we have, money, accomplishments, uh, all of these things to try to fill up that space. And, and, and yet we, we're, we, we never quite tackle the real discontent of our hearts, right? Our egos are empty. They're not filled up. And we try to, we try to put things uh, in there. Uh, when, we, uh, when we talk to students about this in Young Life, we try to point them towards how natural it is for us to do this and not shame them and say, hey, you did all these horrible, destructive things and now we offer you like a, something different. Instead, we try to point to them from the very beginning that even your behavior now is evidence that you are on purpose and have a purpose. That you were made by God. That you were meant for a life of abundance. And guess what? You're looking for it. What unifies every single adolescent, what unifies every single adult in this room is that we are looking for abundant life. Amen? Then we go to all sorts of things to try to find it. We borrow things from God all the time trying to get it ourselves. And we ask students, we, always, we, we, we give them three questions to ask when we talk about this sort of thing is we hope that they'll discover that only God can be God to them. And here are the three questions. Are you ready? Number one, as you, as you evaluate the things that you, uh, f and maybe a good practice for us here this morning is what is it for you before I ask those three questions? Give it a second. Look, whether or not you're a, a follower of Jesus Christ or not, whether or not you think about today or how, what, what first sort of drew you towards him, all of us have that thing that, man, if I just had this, I'd be happy. If I just had this, I'd be okay. Or if this thing would just go away, I'd be happy, Right? What is it for you? What have you tried to fill up with in your life? So here are the three questions that we ask students. One is, does it last forever? Does it last forever? Number two, can it be taken away from you? Three, I just had a brain fart. Oh, does it love you back? Does it last forever? Can it be taken away from you? Does it love you back? If, 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 if what you try to find your identity and your value in, if it, can't, if it can't pass all three of those questions, it can't be God. And what we hope students will realize is that our, our empty egos, the, the, these, 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 this void in our life is we're trying to fill it, that nothing works, only God can be God. 
Our egos are empty. And Jesus knew this. If you look at his life throughout the New Testament, you see him constantly engaging with people, not just spiritually, but constantly physically and constantly emotionally, right? He cared about our bodies. He cared about our hurt. He he cared about our pain and our families and our grief and our emotions. And all of those things mattered to him, but he always always drove people deeper, right? He said, I'll heal your legs. I'll heal you. I will show you the power that I have because he would do all sorts of amazing things because he wanted people to realize that it was about him. It wasn't so much what, what, what he could do, but what he was offering people in himself. I can heal your legs. Yes, I can, but give it a week. Give it a month. You think your life can be found in, in, in your new ability to walk, but you'll find another reason to be discontent with your life. Guaranteed. He sent people away all the time. He said, okay. Yes, it's me. Now leave your life of sin. Don't go back to this. He always drove people deeper. He knew our egos were puffed up and constantly searching for identity and purpose. Secondly, they're painful. Uh, Tim Keller does a great job in that small book talking about this, and he says, look, our our bodies don't, um, our parts only draw attention to themselves when they're hurting, right? You know when you have a cold, and you have that horrible sore throat, and um, no one in the world is suffering more than you at that moment uh, because of that sore throat, and you just think, you know what, when I don't have a cold, I'm going to be so thankful. Like every day I'm just going to wake up, don't have a sore throat, God is good, but we don't do that. You know, today is like a left elbow day, you know? I just, this thing is just crushing it today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's stupid, right? Our, 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 our bodies only draw attention to themselves when they're not working, right? And that's kind of how Paul is describing our egos. They just constantly, they're, they're, they're in pain, so they're constantly drawing attention to themselves, right? Our egos are constantly saying, hey, how do you feel? Oh, my feelings just got hurt. Millennials say, I'm triggered. I just got triggered, okay? <laughs> I'm a millennial. I'm allowed to say that, all right, all right? Yeah, and those of you that are millennials, you get triggered too. You just didn't come up with a cool word. (laughs) Constantly drawing attention to themselves. Our egos are hurting. There's something wrong. Our our, our idea of of self and identity, when when we look at other people's lives, when we listen, when we see things going on, all of that, we're just constantly filtering it through our egos. And, ah, I like that, or I don't like that. I don't know how that makes me feel. I need to respond to this. I need to fix this. I need to, I, they're hurting. And I already kind of said it here, but third, they're busy, right? Our egos are constantly busy because the thing that we're trying to fill our life with, the thing that we're trying to pin our identity on, it's not working. It's just rattling around inside in these inflated egos and they're hurting. And so because they're hurting, I got to go to doctors now to try to make them feel better. Some of us, uh, the doctors that we go to are just things that numb us, right? Because it just helps us deal with the pain. Whether, whether it's in a bottle or whether it's a drug or whether it's even a relationship or even just escapism. Like if I could just disconnect from everything behind a screen, uh, on and on and on. But the thing that we do most in order to deal sort of with this, with this hurting is, is our egos are constantly comparing ourselves to others. Right? I've got my resume and I've got your resume. And I'm constantly comparing the things that matter to me, I'm comparing to you. Do I have it better? Am I better? Is it, and some of us are, well, all of us do this subconsciously, but some of us are at least self-aware enough to know that we do it all the time, right? I don't know why we spend so much time on these things with our broken egos, 
right? I mean, the, those, those who uh, curate the things that we do on this phone are only taking our egos and just trying to figure out how to make money off of them. They know how broken we are. It's not just about the stars, it's about the dots too. You wanna look like this? Start this new diet. You, you, wanna, you, wanna, you wanna have these things? Buy this, do this, and as we scroll and we scroll, we don't even need advertisements. We just look at other people's lives and go, oh, another reason to hate myself, that's great. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll show them. That's a pretty mountain. I have an interesting life. <laughs> hey, I'm only allowed to make fun of it because I do it all the time, so listen. But come on, stars and dots, right? We, we, lo we love the, the likes and all of that kind of stuff. We're, our, our, our egos are so busy. It, um, you don't, it just doesn't have to be like a, a, a religious thing. I mean, people talked in, in the secular environment about how it's literally like dopamine. It's the pleasure center of our brains. It's like, I want stars. I, I want, you know, I, I, I want to be relevant in everything. That's what's so interesting about just the internet in general is, is that it's not, it's just, oh, I, this is a rabbit trail. I won't go there. But, but just basically, it just allows us to insert ourselves into everything, right? The comment section under every article, the, the writer doesn't care what you think. It's there for you. Oh, this horrible thing happened across the world, but don't forget about me. I haven't thought about it. We're so busy trying to insert ourselves and compare ourselves to others. Our egos are empty, they're painful, they're busy, and when they're busy, all this comparing, it only matters that I'm better than you. C.S. Lewis talks about this. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. If beauty is where you put your identity and your value, and the way your body looks, and the way people see you, the, the compliments that people give you, I mean, I'm beautiful, right? And, 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 and it's great, and it's working until you see someone who can afford better clothes, who looks more fit than you, who looks more beautiful than you. All of a sudden, you find that ego very busy again. You might be beautiful, but you're not beautiful enough. Not like her, not like him. They're so busy. We love our kids. We love our children and we love our families until we start looking at other people's families and children and go that they've accomplished more, they've done more. Oh my gosh, talk to, talk to uh, new parents who have like a baby, you know, and they see another baby the same age and all that parent's doing is like, why aren't you crawling? <laughs> that kid's crawling. Crawl. <laughs> By kid three, you're like breathing, awesome. All right, but, <laughs> but like, but, um, but, but we do it with everything, right? All the time, beauty, money, success, kids constantly comparing. Empty, painful, busy, and lastly, fragile. We we are fragile people, inflated egos, ready to burst. And whether or not you know, you might think, well, actually, I, I, not everyone has a big inflated ego. I've heard people who constantly just talk bad about themselves. Yes. Welcome to someone who's inflated has bursted, whose ego has bursted. So it's not about self-love. It's not about self-hate. Our egos are broken. Paul offers 
a radical solution. This is part two. Paul uh, says, I want to use myself as an example here. And this is what he says. Uh, do I have the, the right verses up? Um, uh, yes. He says, look. Um, nope. Other one. Let me go back. Here we go. Uh, at, at, at the bottom. Um, I, I, care, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, we have to be very careful with this because we can take any Christian principle and run away with it in the wrong direction, right? But he's saying, look, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think about me as you compare me to all these different leaders. The only thing I care about is what the Lord has to say about me. He goes, in fact, I don't even care what I say about me. Now, as I talk about some of the things that are false, I want to make sure that I stop for a second to talk about what's true. Listen, we need each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? God is going to constantly use us to encourage one another and to edify one another and to admonish one another and rebuke one another and point us towards who we are in Christ. But what Paul is pointing out here is not that we are meant to all kind of like isolate ourselves from everybody's opinion. But we are not meant to place our value and our identity and run our lives because of what other people say. The stars and the dots that we get, right? And he's offering this radical solution. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. My conscience is clear. But he goes, I'm not perfect. I'm not innocent. It is God who judges me. I won't play this game of stars and dots. I won't even let the stars and dots that I give myself run my life because he, does, he doesn't want to get trapped. We can get trapped in two ways, the opinion of others or the opinion of ourselves, right? We get trapped by others because we feel terrible because we don't live up to our parents' expectations or our peers' expectations, our boss's expectations of, or our spouse's expectations of us. We're constantly feeling like we're letting down. There's another Young Life staff person who said to me, sometimes I feel like I wake up every day and all I think to myself is, I wonder who I'm going to disappoint today. All right, fine. So then I'll insulate myself from everyone, right? Because if I'm so dependent on what you think, I'm so fragile, then um, and it's just going to be about me, right? And we get that in Western society. Individ, word, okay? That's, that's us. I'm not even going to keep trying, okay? So that's us. All right, so I'll insulate myself from you. And the only thing, only thing that matters is me. And so you know what? I'm going to make my own standards. Well, how long does that last? You talk about resolutions and, and when we're reminded of how, how horrible our willpower is. And we, let our, we even let ourselves down all the time. Okay, fine. Last solution. I feel terrible because of what others' expectations are of me. I feel terrible because of my own expectations of me. Therefore... No expectations. I'll have no standards for myself. What happens, happens. What I do, I do. What I don't, I don't. And then you lay in bed at the end of the day and you say, I can't believe I'm one of these people. I want nothing for myself. And I hate it. It's a trap. Whether it's other people's opinions or our own, our egos are broken. And we're constantly thinking. And Paul says, not me. No, no, not me. He goes, and I'm not perfect. Paul would say over and over again, I am the chief of sinners, okay? All the time, he goes, guys, I am pretty bad. But Paul is saying, my ego is not puffed up, it's filled up. My ego is not constantly drawing attention to itself. And Paul is talking about a certain sort of gospel humility. Have you ever met anyone like that? Where it's never about them. 
Have you? I mean, that's a real question. I mean, you don't have to answer, but that's a real question. Have you met someone like that? Who really grasps and really understands gospel humility? I mean, do you even believe that we can do that? Is that real? Or is this just Sunday morning, like, idealism? C.S. Lewis kind of talks about what it might be like to interact with someone who understands and, and really lives uh, gospel humility. Because I think gospel humility is more of a, of a result, right? Not something you try to do, but a result of something that you have. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, that he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he's a nobody. People, all, probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious that anyone seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If I could be so bold to add something to C.S. Lewis, I imagine a lot of us have met people who sort of have this gospel humility and we just took no attention to them at all. We don't even know that that's someone we met. It's not about self-love, it's not about self-hate, but something entirely different. Someone who really gets it. You know, a, a criticism is a great litmus test for this for you. We love criticism, don't we? When we don't have it, we ask people to criticize us just so that we can be humbled by it. Now think, look, and, and look at what our culture's response to us. Let's say you, don't, you, let's say you have self-hate. You're always down on yourself. You're always beating yourself up. You think of yourself as a nobody and somebody criticizes you. What does it do to you? It just devastates you. It's all you can think about. You stand in the shower for 20 minutes, uh, going over and over and over your rebuttal of how, what you would say. You begin to feel bitterness and sorrow and sadness, and it just lines up with how you already feel about yourself. And so our culture says, okay, drown them out. Don't listen to anybody. Just hang out with people who echo the same things you do, and only them. And say your things and think your thoughts loudly enough that you can't even hear the haters. Again, millennials, thank you for that. Don't listen to them. All right. Well, what if I have tons of self-love? What, what if I just think so much of myself? You know what the problem is then? I don't even hear criticism. It goes in one ear and out the other. I could care less what you have to say about me or whether or not you think I need to improve upon anything. Our culture's response is, just do you, right? Dr. Seuss taught me this. I love him, by the way. But no one is you or than you. <laughs> Don't worry about others. Wouldn't you like to be someone who is filled up instead of puffed up? And when someone criticizes you, you can go, thank you, and mean it. No matter how well-worded it is, how well-intended or how ill-intended it is, to be able to receive it and not attach it to your identity and self-worth, but also just not blow it off either because you're not better. Gospel humility, it's not about you. You begin to experience and see the world around you differently. C.S. Lewis said, it's not about thinking less of yourself or more of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. What would it look like to be able to really listen to people well because you don't have to begin to prepare your responses to posture yourself in the conversation, to compare resumes of opinions and ideas and experiences, but to really just listen. 
because you care about the people in front of you, because you can see them, because your ego is not so busy calling attention to itself all the time. What would it look like to stand in front of a mirror and not just admire what you see, but also not hate it either? What would it look like for us not to sit around and fantasize about hitting self-esteem home runs? Man, if I could just accomplish this, think about what people would say. When I was younger, this is where I get a little bit too vulnerable because it's like, uh, you might be weird. When I was younger, I, uh, I would fantasize about tragedy happening in my life, losing a loved one, because I, I wanted to fantasize about people coming to me in sympathy. Ooh. I, I know, I'm the only one. <laughs> desperate for people's stars, desperate for um, our egos are broken. So Paul says, I've got something entirely different. I'm filled up, I'm not puffed up. I only care about what God says about me. So how do we get it? I want to continue this story as we begin to close. And uh, here uh Remember, he felt better around people who had lots of dots, right? Punchinello. One day, he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he had ever met. She had no dots, and she had no stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, and so they would run up and give her a star. But it would just fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot. But it wouldn't stick either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodworker. He, I sit in his workshop with him. Why? Why don't you go find out for yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And with that, the Wemmick, who had no stickers, turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear. So Punchinello went home, and he sat near a window, and he watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. So he decided to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I am not staying here. And he turned to leave. Then he heard his name. Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. It looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I, I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what other Wemmicks think. You don't? No. And you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars and dots? They're Wemmicks, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. 
and I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I, I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My pain is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello and put his hands on the small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello never ha had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his own maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping that you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know, she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stick on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. Paul had an incredible encounter with Christ, and Paul's life was flipped upside down. Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, I refuse to connect my sin to my identity. I refuse to connect your praise to my identity. I refuse to connect my accomplishments and all that I've done and all that God has used me for with my purpose and my value. Why? Because it won't last forever. It could be taken away. It doesn't love me back. I refuse to allow my failures to be attached to who I am. He says, I, I don't care what you think and I don't care what anyone else thinks or any other human court. He uses that language on purpose. He's saying, I'm not gonna live life like I'm on trial anymore. I don't have to, and you don't have to either. I won't live life on trial where I'm constantly defending myself to the world around me, no matter what my community is, religious or irreligious, where some days I feel like I'm winning the trial and other days I feel like I'm losing. I won't live life on trial because Paul knew that the verdict was in. There was no need for a trial. Paul says, I'm not even in the courtroom anymore. Why? Because Paul knew the truth, that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, from a small child all the way to the cross, had Paul in mind, had you in mind. Jesus Christ, blameless, spotless, sinless, no dots, stepped into the courtroom on our behalf. Because of our sin, because of our brokenness, we were, we were condemned as guilty. And Jesus said, I will go to trial for you. And was found guilty on our behalf, not because of his wrongdoing, but because of ours. And he took that up on the cross and defeated sin and death. So that what? So that we could know our Father in heaven. So that we could know our maker, Eli, up on the hill in his workshop. So that we could know the God that formed us in our mother's wombs. The verdict is in. That if you are in Christ, you are a new creation a royal priesthood, sons and daughters, adopted. I don't live my life in, on trial, Paul says. I'm not in, the verdict is in. And this is what's so radical about the Christian faith. Nothing else in the world, whether secular or religious, looks anything like this. Because everything about those things says you need to perform in order to earn it in front of your friends, to earn it in your community, to earn it in your society, and even to earn it before God. Your performance is what gets you a verdict. Do the good, does the good outweigh the bad? In Christianity, the gospel communicates that the verdict is already in. 
and that anything that we do is a response to the verdict that we didn't earn and we didn't deserve, but received by faith and faith alone. And therefore, my ego can be filled up with him and not puffed up. And it doesn't have to be about me. Do you really believe that that's possible? And here's my challenge, application. What do I encourage you to do? I guess that's where you come in. <laughs> as you evaluate this to yourself, as you think about our broken egos, what would it look like if as believers we were more like Lucia? And what, what if we were more like Lucia and we, we actually spent every day with our maker? What would it look like if we were Paul, who not only believe, I know we say believers a lot, believers, right? But we're not just believers, right? You don't call me a believer because I'm married. Yes, I believe in my wife, but I have a relationship with her, a deep, deep, abiding relationship with her. We're not just believers, we're sons and daughters of God. It's about a relationship. And this is what I struggled with. I, I was like, oh my gosh, is this my application? is to spend time with God? Because I feel like it's the most cliche, you know, every, every preacher has said it, right? Are you spending time with the Lord? And I realized that that's it. Have we carved out space to be with our maker so that our egos don't have to be so busy all the time? trying to fill our, our identity and purpose and value? What if we really were like Lucia's and Paul's and we spent time with God and we're constantly reminded of who we are and who he is? That we don't live life on trial anymore. We don't do stars and dots. That we continue to spend time with God and we just get lost in him. Do you have any space in our lives? You think about, we look forward to 2019. Do you have any time, any carved out space just to get lost in how much God loves you and who you are in him? We don't have to live life on trial. We can live like the verdict is already in. We know who we are. We're filled up. And how could that change things? It could change the way we do relationships. It can change the way we do conflict. It can change the way we talk about our accomplishments and those things that we've done or the way that God is using us. It changes the way we talk about our failures because we're not managing our brand. I don't need a brand. I'm his. Believers, I also encourage that some of you need to hear that like Paul, you need to not attach your accomplishments and your failures and your sin to your identity. There are some of us here who attach our identity to the things that we've done, the things that we've accomplished, me included. And there are also some of you here, the things that you've done, your failures, your sin. When you think about you, Punchinello, all you think is about the dots all over you. That's how God sees you, you think. What if in 2019, we didn't attach our identity to our failure or our sin? It's not who I am, Paul would say, over and over again in his letters. 
He goes, yes, I sin, but it is not I who sin anymore, but sin in me. I'm not attached to it. I've been freed from that. God has stolen my sin away. We also, I think, need to be challenged as believers is that we don't draw one another back into the courtroom either. I don't mean that we don't admonish one another and don't encourage one another towards love and good deeds and encourage one another in Christ. But we not participate in the game of stars and dots. Amen? We do. I do. Let's not place dots on people and say, that's who you are. That failure. And let's not also just do, do empty flattery either. I gave you a star. Now give me mine. And don't do it within a Christian setting either. If, I'm, if I am filled up, if my identity is in Christ and I decide to go serve and, and, and to let my life be a, just an outpouring of who I am in Christ, it's not so that I get Christian stars. I don't need them. They just fall off. If I create more space in my life to serve and to give and to love and to feed and to clothe and to house and to do all the things that Jesus has asked us to do on his behalf to bring him glory and is his name, it's because we are just overwhelmed by his goodness and our life just becomes an offering to him. It's not about me. Punchinello said, Eli, I don't think I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. You have a lot of marks. For now, just come see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said, as the Wemmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Eli said, I mean, Punchinello said, I know God, but I can't get up 30 minutes earlier in the morning. I added that. <laughs> I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop. But in his heart, he thought, I really think he means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. Let's worship.